How many of you thought when you came to church this morning you're going to see a beer commercial? <laughs> okay. We're not endorsing everything in that commercial, but we are endorsing the sitting down with each other and being able to talk rather than debate. Uh, this is one of the most beautiful things about diversity. We can learn from one another. We don't all need to agree on everything. I can disagree with you, and you can still be my brother or my sister. I can disagree with you, and we can still both love Jesus. There is a way to disagree in a Christ-like manner, and that's what we're about here at Prodigal Church. Uh, when we talk about diversity, we often immediately jump to racial diversity. And that is certainly included in our core values, in this particular core value. But we also mean a diversity of opinions. Uh, this is not a dictatorship, this church, okay, where my opinions are the only opinions that matter in our church. No, no. Sarah and I have been a part of churches where there were two ways to read the Bible, uh, the pastor's way and the wrong way. That's not the kind of church we are. Christians have disagreed on how to interpret parts of the Bible for the past 1,900 years. And just because someone else may view it differently than I do, doesn't mean that I can't learn from them and be in fellowship with them. D to be clear, we believe that God's church is a really, really big church. So we can disagree on some things, um, like with Orthodox Christians. Uh, still call them family. We can disagree on some things with Catholic Christians. And still call them family. We can disagree on some things with our Southern Baptist Christians. Still call them family. We believe it's time for the church to stop fighting and dividing about what we disagree about and start uniting on what we do agree about. We want to be known for what we're for, not for what we're against. In the ancient world, there were three main ways people were divided. They were divided by race, the Jewish people uh, that most of the scriptures were written to and directed to, they were uh, divided. Uh, there was the Jewish people and there were the Gentiles. That was it. That's it. Jewish Gentiles. Um, there's no middle ground. And even if a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, they had a name for that. It was called a proselyte. And they were still separated and didn't have full inclusion into the Jewish religious community. So in the ancient Near East, with, for the nation of Israel, it was Jews and Gentiles, and they had to stay separate. Secondly, they were divided by gender. Men and women were not considered to be equal in that time period. In fact, uh, women were seen as property. If a man commits a crime, he steals somebody's horse, and the only witnesses were two women, he would get away scot-free because women couldn't testify in the court of law. Their opinion didn't matter. And then finally, people were divided by status. Uh, slavery was abundant in the ancient world, just the way things were. You could be conquered into slavery, you could be sold into slavery, you could be born into slavery, but if you're a slave, you were less than in the ancient world. So people were divided by race, gender, and status. And then Jesus, the Son of God, shows up on the scene and breaks down all the walls that divide. Look at this passage in Galatians. It says this, So in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So there's neither Jew 
nor Gentile, that's race, neither slave nor free, that's status, nor is there male nor female, that's gender, for you are all one in Christ. The scriptures declare that as the people of God, we say no to the walls that divide us. We say in Jesus' name, let the walls fall down. There is a deep conviction rooted in Jesus that diversity is the fruit of the kingdom of God. It's about people. Uh, people looking different, people thinking different, people acting different. Diversity is the gift that we should have as the church. We all shouldn't be the same. Zerusa, who's an ancient mystic, he wrote this, and this may apply to you. When I die, God is not going to say, why weren't you more like Moses? He'll say, why were you not more like Zerusa? God wants you to be you. We don't need another John. There's already one. We need you to be you. And we as a church need you to be you, fully you. If we're only in relationship with people who look, think, and act just like us, then I think we're the ones missing out on God's blessing in our lives. When we close ourselves off from people different than us, we can unconsciously begin to think that we are superior to other people, or worse yet, that God loves us more than he loves them. Ancient Israel loved God's attention. And many times they resented the fact that God wanted to draw all people to himself. Uh, the, the Abraham story, the, the, the formation story of Israel, God calls Abraham and he says, I will, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all nations. And Israel loved the first part. I will bless you. I will bless you. And they're like, yes, God's going to bless us. And they often forgot that second part. They were blessed to be a blessing. That is the case for us as Christians today. Us as the church, we are blessed to be a blessing. It's not so, yay, God gets to bless us. We're on the in crowd. We're God's favored ones. We're blessed. We're safe. We're good. They're bad. We're right. They're wrong. Bless us. Bless us. Bless us, God. No, we're blessed to be a blessing. And then the nation of Israel begins to forget this, and then they end up in slavery in Egypt, and God raises up a deliverer in Moses, and he says, let my people go, and he frees them from Pharaoh and the oppression of Pharaoh, and they cross over the Red Sea on dry ground. It is the Exodus, right? Which is the, the, the pivotal moment in Israel's story. It is the pivotal, the formational story. It's mentioned in every genre of scripture. The Exodus is ultra important. It's God's defining moment for his nation. It showed that God is for us and not for them, right? Amos 9-7 says this. This is just crazy. You have to write this down, Amos 9-7. Are you Israelites more important to me than Ethiopians? Asked the Lord, okay? So God asked this question. Uh, uh, are Ethiopians, which is a northern African nation, are they more important to, to, to me than you, Israel? And Israel would say, yeah. Duh, we're the people of God. We're Israel. Uh, hello, Israel means to wrestle with God. We're your people. Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. We're the chosen ones. They would answer yes. And then God says this. I brought Israel out of Egypt, but I also brought the Philistines from Crete, and I led the Arameans out of Ker. This is just so unbelievable. Uh, do you see the off-the-charts ram ramifications of this? The Exodus 
wasn't the only exodus. We are not the only important special ones in God's eyes. There is no God cares about us, but he doesn't care about them. There is no them to God. God did an exodus, created and rescued the Philistines and the Arameans. The Philistines were the bad guys. They were the, they were, Goliath was a Philistine. Okay? They were the arch rival of Israel. And God did an exodus for them? God rescued them? Everyone is special in God's eyes. He desires all of us. If we're supposed to bring heaven to earth, heaven is diverse. The Bible says uh, numerous times in Revelation that people of every tongue, tribe, and nation will bow before the Lamb. It's going to be a pretty diverse place. If you think everybody in heaven is going to look like you, you're wrong. <laughs> it's diverse. If the church is for anybody, then the church is for everybody. So diversity is good. Other people, good. Different people, good. It's good. It's godly. It's necessary. But we don't unite over our differences. We unite in Christ. Have you ever noticed um, on a coin uh, or even on dollar bills, there's this Latin phrase that says, e pluribus unum, okay? None of, I mean, Latin's a dead language. We don't really have that anymore, but e pluribus unum. And uh, it means out of many becomes one or one from many. And there's 13 letters in that phrase, e pluribus unum. And there's also 13 original U.S. colonies. So out of many, become one. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church? United diversity. United diversity. Out of many, one. Uh, it's, it's almost an oxymoron, right? You're familiar with oxymorons? Oxymorons like act naturally. Okay, it's two words that are opposites, but put together it may mean something else. Terribly pleased, pretty ugly, good cats. <laughs> Rare. Uh, these are oxymorons. Andy Warhol says this, I am deeply superficial person. We've all heard a little pain never hurt anyone. That doesn't make any sense. E pluribus unum, one from many. We want to see God's heart for us to need us. We need each other. We're together. Uh, Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This the Greek word here for bodies is plural. Uh, uh, he's saying y'all, okay? If he was from Texas, he says, offer y'all's bodies as a living sacrifice, singular. Is he saying you all, plural, offer one sacrifice, singular? Un this is e pluribus unum, Right? Out of many comes one. It's a communal perspective. We are to offer all of our bodies together as one sacrifice. Paul then goes on to describe this united diversity and what it looks like for the body of Christ. Romans 12, it says this, For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If your gift is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You all have gifts, and we need those gifts. The world needs those gifts. There's this church in San Diego that... um, their thing is kind of to like empower their people in whatever they feel passionate or gifted at. I think it's beautiful. Every church kind of has their own DNA. This is, and like their core convictions. And that's kind of what we're all about here during this, this is us sermon series. But this church empowers their, their congregation uh, to use their gifts for God. And uh, a woman came up to the pastor and said, I've got a gift that I want to use for God. And he goes, okay, what is it? She says, well, I make dolls. And he's like, um, what? what? Yeah, I, I make dolls. And I, I want to feel, you know, used. I want to use, have, feel this, have this gift used by our church. And uh, he goes, okay, well, we're going to get back to you. And they prayed, and they did get back to her. They got back to her to where this one woman approaching this one pastor at this one church, saying that she has this gift, has now turned into, in every single police car in the San Diego County, there is a doll with a little scripture attached to it so that whenever these officers go to a domestic violence incident, they give the child, any child that's there, one of these dolls. Wow. Even the tiniest thing you contribute is of immense value to your family, this family, and to God. We value the diversity of gifts. We want you to be fully you. In all of us, there is a longing for belonging. And that's our fourth core value is belonging. And in this one word, we're trying to say lots of things. Um, And so we're going to kind of flesh that out this morning. Let's start with a game. Everybody loves a game. Speaking of games, nobody tell me the score of the NFL games that are happening right now. Some of you are like, Weird that the church starts their worship services, you know, at 9 a.m., right when Sunday football starts again. You're welcome. You guys, you guys don't care about football. That's why you're here at the 1030 hour. You're the real saints. Um, but let's start with a game. It's a game everybody loves. It's called Describe a Human, okay? So I'm going to read off some characteristics, and you answer yes or no if it describes a human, okay? Super easy. Rational. Yes. Okay. Irrational. Yes. Civil. Savage. Friendly. Hostile. Peaceful. Violent. You guys know these are opposites, right? Okay. Creative. Destructive. Honest. Deceptive. You're catching on. Humanity is that species that shows us the beautiful image of God and also its opposite. And yet, people, real life people, are are what matters in life. Men, women, and children are worth the greatest effort, the supreme sacrifice, the ultimate gift. Every person matters. Every person belongs. I said it last week. We're about people, not policies. 
We're focused in on Jesus and his kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom has been and will always be about people. Real life. This is what the church does. When you belong to a community of believers who love you as is, that helps us be the people that God's called us to be. And we're together in not having it together. None of us have it together. Myself included. Your staff included. uh, Our board of directors included. We're together in not having it together. And as we move towards Jesus, we just might get more things together. What I'm trying to say is this. Everybody belongs. Everybody belongs here. Uh, It's not behave, believe, belong. It's belong, believe, be changed. Come as you are. Sometimes in the church, before you are accepted, you have to behave. You got to clean yourself up. You got to hide all your dirty laundry and your struggles, right? Then you have to believe like us, vote like us, think like us. Then and only then are you now one of us. No, that's not the gospel. The good news of Jesus is much better than that. You belong before you believe. As is, just as you are, we got you. We love you. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we're going to love you. As is. Whether you change or not, we're going to love you just the same. We're going to meet you where you are. That's what Jesus does for us. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is in Luke 18, and Jesus tells it. He's just the greatest storyteller of all time. It says this in verse 9, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. Isn't that like the greatest intro in the history of intros? To all the people who think they've got it all together and that they're better than other people and they look down on other people, Jesus told them this story. Just, just the intro's phenomenal. Then he tells the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector guy over here. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is insane. I love this. Here, we lose the shock value because we're 2,000 years removed from this culture. But a Pharisee, like we think of them as like religious bigots, like hypocrites, That's not what they were seen like in the first century. They were the good guys. They were heroes. Whenever the first century audience said there was a Pharisee, they would go, oh, good, the good guys. Yay, hooray, go Pharisees. They memorized the Bible. They're generous. They're good people. They're moral. They're upright. They're upstanding. So they're the good guys. They would go, yes, yes, good guys. And then they would say there was a Pharisee, yay, and a tax collector. They would go, boo, hiss, tax collectors. They're the betrayers. They betrayed their people for the Romans. They would actually rob, literally take money away from their own people and pocket, put it in their own pockets because they sold themselves out to Rome. So whenever you hear a tax collector, you go, boo, boo. If you had been a good Jew listening to Jesus, you would have cheered for Pharisee. But Jesus is always full of surprises. He introduced a good guy and a bad guy. And by the time he finished the parable, the good guy had become the bad guy and the bad guy became the good guy. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. The tax collector sought 
God. F.F. Bruce wrote this, In the eyes of Christ, a person confessing sin is nearer to true goodness than a person boasting of his goodness. Amen and amen. Everyone matters. Everyone has value. When I was growing up, I played chess with my brother. Uh, and I felt like I was good. I wasn't. I thought I was good. I thought, thought I was good playing chess. And in chess, you know that there's multiple, uh, multiple different roles, different, different pieces mean something else. And maybe Manny, Manny, Manny go, to that last, go to the last song just so that we uh, calm these lights down for you guys. Uh, there's the rook, and you know the rook, right? Rook can go straight up, and it can go across. The bishop, bishop goes at a diagonal all the way around the board. Then there's the knight. Ooh, gotta love the knights. They do that little L. You can do it a couple different ways. Then there was the, the really important pieces. There's the king. King can do whatever he wants, but he can only go a little bit, okay? He can go whatever direction he wants, but he just can't go very far. Then there's the queen. Queen can do whatever she wants. The queen, it's like my house, okay? She can do whatever she wants. It's like Sarah's the queen. Uh, and uh, she's the most valuable. Then in the very front row of each board, each team, is the last little guys. You know what they're called? Pawns. Pawns. They can't do much. They go a little bit, and they can only go one direction. Nobody really cares about the pawns. It, it, you would often sacrifice your pawn so that other places, you know, never get hurt. You do this all the time. It's no great loss to lose a pawn. For Jesus, he shows us that there is no such thing as no great loss because he spends his time with the prostitutes, the sinners, the drunks, the poor people, the sick people, the lepers, and he says, you have value. There's no such thing as no great loss. Everybody has worth, ultimate worth. To Jesus, there's no such thing. Every person matters. There is this earth-shattering truth that the guilty matter, the guilty are loved, the God of the universe is in love with shameful people. I want to invite Noe and the band to come up. And I, and I think back to my own Sunday school lessons when I was a boy, uh, attending Catholic Mass, they would occasionally take the kids off and go to a little Sunday school thing. And I remember the teacher, they would teach us, right, the, 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 here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door and look at all the people. I remember thinking of that. It was great, great. Uh, I read an article this week about uh, another Sunday school teacher teaching this lesson. And, he, and she said, here's the church. Here's the steeple. And, and as, as soon as she, she did this, uh, one boy noticed that there's another kid across the classroom that only has one arm. And he can't do it. So he runs over across the classroom, unites his hand, and they, she says, open the door and look at all the people. They came together to make the church. That's a great example of what the church should be. Us coming together to be the people of God, to be sharpened. It, it, what this is, 
in its, in its most stripped-down form, is a bunch of sinners, liars, dreamers, and misfits coming together on Sunday mornings, looking to Jesus, trying to live more like him, and lifting up his name. That's what this is. We're all a bunch of liars, dreamers, and misfits. And Jesus calls us together. And he says to you, you belong. We've been searching for places and clubs and things to be to belong in. And Jesus says, you belong. You don't got to get your act together first. I love you. And he calls a diverse group of people to love a diverse group of people. We're called to agree to disagree in a Christ-like way. Because discussion's better, better than debate. Because you can win an argument and lose a soul like that. God says, it's not, that's not what it's about. So God, I pray that you would help us in, our, in these core values of diversity and of belonging. That we'd be a church that truly models these. That we'd become better. We thank you for two amazing years. And we pray the next two are even greater. So God, we desire more. We desire more. God, you move us from glory to glory. And you make us so that we'll never be the same. So God, help us to do that in a greater way in our community, in this community, in us. In Jesus' name, amen.